Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. Um, I got a bunch of stuff this morning. So uh, right off the bat, can I have an extra 10 minutes? Is that okay? Anybody? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We're going to have fun today. Um, so we're in the series Ancient Paths, and um, we're taking some time before we get to those paths to say, hey, you are here. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting this new journey, and we want to make sure that as we start this journey, we're starting off on the right step. Um, have you ever heard that saying before that a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step? That's wrong. Thank you. Have a great day. See you later. No, no. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a compass. Yeah. I mean, what's all these steps if you're heading in the wrong direction? So we are going to talk about just you are here. We've been doing it over the last few weeks. And if you look back, we have this pattern as a human culture and society and just humanity itself, history repeats itself. It doesn't take a magic ball to see what's next. You could just look back so you can look forward. Um, and the only way you can know what's next is to understand where you are right now, to understand the times and to understand the seasons, understand where we are right now. Because uh, here's the reality. Think about this for a moment. The disciples walked side by side with Jesus. And Jesus told them all of these wonderful things. And you know what their question was to him over and over again? When's the kingdom coming? And to which Jesus said very plainly, it's right now. It's here and it's among you. And then someone would pull Jesus off to the side. But really, Jesus, when's it coming? Right? So that should just let you know sometimes... Our minds get so fixated on the way that we think sh things should be that we don't see things for as they really are. They missed a lot of what Jesus was saying because they just thought, man, when the king comes, when the savior comes, it's going to look like this and we're going to overtake Rome and all of this is going to happen. And Jesus was like, we're not doing it that way. And we, we laugh at him now and we think, oh, but we're doing it right now. We have all of these ideas, and Jesus said, no, it's right here. It's among us. I could tell you these things plainly, and you still not see it. Only sometimes, you know, we say this to our kids, you're just kind of hearing what you want to hear, right? But it's our story, right? Uh, so these, these ancient paths, there is a way that if we stop and if we stand at these crossroads and we look around and we ask for the old godly ways, the ancient paths, the eternal ways, we will stop and walk in those and there will be what rest for our souls. Come on, somebody. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about you are here uh, and I've taken... As many measures I can to show when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, that you can believe that, that he is the way, he is the truth. And today I want to take some time to really say, like, that life that you are looking for is found in Jesus. Nothing else, anything that this world has to offer, all of those dreams that you think, if I only had this, then I would be satisfied. I'm telling you, if it's not Jesus, it's the wrong dream. 
only Jesus, this life that we have. So, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, a verse of scripture that you've heard a few times if you have been in church for any period of time. It says this, 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, beginning with verse 14, then... If my people who are called by my name, so realize right now he's talking to Christians, right? This isn't, this isn't for like somebody out there. No, no, my people who are called by na- my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'm going to do what? I'm going to hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I will restore their land. So a little bit of background about this particular portion of Scripture. Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord, and it's an amazing time. I mean, they have built this temple that is, it is more incredible than anything the world has ever seen. And they love some gold because everything's covered in gold. I mean, I'm not a big gold fan, but Solomon and Jesus like gold. And they cover everything in gold in this temple. And then they are sacrificing some sheep and some bulls. And the party is rocking. And it says that people came from all over and they celebrated. And they celebrated all the way to the eighth day. And then on the eighth day, Solomon sent everyone home. Now think about that for a minute. Like, everyone took at least eight days off of work. They were like, what are y'all doing? We go into the party. And nobody was worried about what they were going to eat because they slaughtered so many sheep and so many bulls and all of this thing is happening. And no, like the economy is good. You could take that time off and it's just, yeah, we're going to party. And then there's all the travel time in between. Who knows how many days they took off. And they're in the midst of this time and everything is good and everything they've been working for. And then God comes and he tells Solomon this that we just read, which is interesting because he's telling them, listen, four things I need from you because there will be a time, it actually even says this, let me read it, there will be a time when this will happen. Things are good right now, but at times I might shut up the heavens and there might be no rain that falls or the grasshoppers will devour the crops and plagues will be sent among you. That's verse 13. Like, we don't say that one a lot, right? <laughs> but that's the context in which God's saying, listen, everything's good right now. and I've got gold-plated everything, but there will be some grasshoppers that destroy your crops one day. And there will be some times, and because humanity has this tendency to repeat itself. And you're going to do this. You're going to abandon me for idols. It happens over and over. All these, be careful not to do that. You're going to be tempted to abandon me when things are good. And, and God's saying, like, but if you do that my part, I'm going to listen. I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to heal. And he's saying that for every generation. Like, be careful, because you have this tendency to reintroduce idols into your life. You have a tendency that when everything is good, to think that you don't need God anymore. And when you do... Some things just might happen, and all of this to get you back on track and so I can forgive you and heal you. Now, remember that. That's the context of this verse that we just read. A few months ago, I think it was in mid-July, me 
and Alan Stanley and a few of our families, we were, I was speaking uh, at a breakout session at a conference in Tennessee, and one of my buddies, we're going to put his picture on the screen here, his name is uh, Aaron McCarter, he pastors the Maryville Vineyard Church in Maryville, Tennessee, um, great church, he gave this message that it was just one of those messages where I thought, I have never heard anything like that before, and it was so good, and he had these little slides, and so I, I, I was like, man, I knew I wanted to do something uh, kind of like he did, so I messaged him, I was like, give me those slides, right? So I got, so all the slides that you will see this morning uh, are from Aaron, I wanted to make sure I gave him credit for that, um, and so if there's misspellings, it's because I altered the slide. All right, come on, somebody. So uh, I do have on my glasses this morning, and that's because we're going to go to college class <laughs> for, for a little bit. So you're going to have to hold on with me. There's going to be a lot, and you're just, where is he going with this? Trust me, I'm going to bring it home, but you got to stick with me. So Christ and culture, first slide, please. Because all this, remember, to note where we are, where we're starting. You are here. So Christianity. Christianity takes this kind of beginning of this wave. Whenever Christ comes into a culture, into a uh, group of people as a whole, things change. This is the moment in which we would call revival. This is where God is doing something, and uh, the effects of people coming to Christ in great numbers, the economy is changed, culture is changed, people are changed, and they're getting serious about God. Now, here's the thing about this moment. Every true revival does this. It doesn't stay contained to four walls. Every true revival will make its way into the streets. And if the revival doesn't make its way into the streets, it's not revival. And that's true of not just the church as a whole. That's true of your soul and your heart. If the revival that's happening inside of you doesn't make its way outside of you, come on, somebody, then you need to keep on digging a little bit deeper. You need some more Jesus. So in other words, when you experiencing this life-changing God, he affects everything about you. He affects the way uh, you parent your children. He affects the way you go to work on Monday morning. He affects the way, uh, well, he don't affect the way some of y'all drive your cars, <laughs> but he should. Come on. He affects everything. He affects the way we eat and the way we sleep. I love it how one person, there was a very famous uh, a musician that became a follower of Christ, and in an interview they said this to him. They said, are you now a Christian musician? And to which he turned and looked at them and said this, I'm a Christian everything. Come on. That's somebody who got it. That's someone who understands. Like, you don't become a Christian musician. No, you're a Christian everything. When you invite Christ into your heart and you die, come on, and make him the Lord of your life, Christ is overtaking everything about you. It changes education, work, government, culture. And Jesus even said, like, it's all things. And even Jesus says it like this, you can't love me and hate your brother. In other words, if I've affected you, it's going to affect the way that you love everybody else around you. You're to pray for those that are in authority above you. In Jeremiah 29, the one that we love to quote so much that the plans that he has for us and the, all of this to prosper us, we do realize that was a letter to a people in captivity, to a people that God's saying, listen, all of these ones that have hauled you off into a land you don't want to be in, pray for them. Pray for the government that you don't like. 
whether you like them or don't like them, because if it goes well for them, it's going to go well for you. And he says, plant some houses there. Put your vineyards there. It doesn't matter about all these things. In other words, Jesus is saying this. You change the culture. Don't let culture change you. No matter what type of authority, no matter where you're at, no matter where you find yourself, if you're, you're living with everything plated with gold or if you're taken off to a land you don't want to be in, held captive, understand you change things. You don't let that change you. This is the rise of Christianity, and it rises in good times, and it rises in bad times. Sometimes it rises the best in the bad times. Second slide. So after you have this rise of Christianity, and it begins to infiltrate a culture and a society, you have what's called the rise of Christendom. Christendom is this. It's the culture that arises out of a Christian society. In other words, the rise of Christian values come onto the scene. People as a whole begin to take a hold of them, but they don't take a hold of Christ. And there's a big, big change that happens here. So this is where the culture as a large is, is the following Jesus, but then all of a sudden, hey, we like everything that that culture provides except for the one who provides it. And so what you have is this byproduct of Jesus' goodness. It's the byproduct of a, a culture and a people group crumbing and following Christ and being changed from the inside and culture being changed on the outside. And then all of a sudden, ooh, I, I like that. I don't necessarily like Christ, but I like all the benefits of it. And so I want to move into that. It's kind of like, I don't, know, I don't think she's here this morning, but if you've ever met Judy Evans, Dean's here. Judy is the most joyous person you'll ever meet. I mean, she is just, you can't get into the presence of Judy without being like, oh, I just feel better. She's just so happy. She's just such, I'm like, you know she has bad days, but I've just never seen them. It's usually when Dean takes her off. It's like, all right, Dean, we're going to church. Shout out. This is so awesome. But, but when you get in Judy's presence, you get changed. But when I leave, I don't have what Judy has unless a change has taken place in me by Jesus Christ. See, that she has what she has because of the life of Jesus that's changing her. And if I'm not careful, I could live my life just trying to follow around Judy, trying to live off of her goodness and mercy shall follow all of those. Come on, because it's true. It follows those that believe in him. And you could catch some of this goodness, but you ain't going to have it in you. And this is what Christendom does. And Christendom is not Christianity. It is not Christianity. It is the path of least resistance. It is a form of godliness, and it denies the power. Third wave. Third wave is this then societal advancement. So you have the rise of people giving their lives to Christ. Christianity is on the upswing. All of a sudden, the culture itself loves what Christ is doing for the culture and will go along with the values. And when this happens, society gets better. Society as a whole begins to thrive. The economy does really good. When you live underneath the laws and the values of Jesus Christ, whether you're a believer or not, things change. In other words, this, thou shalt not kill is a good thing. 
As a matter of fact, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in Jesus, you should at least like this. This is a good moral principle. As a matter of fact, you're only alive today because somebody turned the other cheek. Come on, that'll catch you later. You'll be thinking of that one when you're laying in bed at night. When the tide rises, all of the boats go up. As Christianity begins to move, all of the boats go up, good and bad, and society changes, and, and, and all of this is happening. Hospitals are put into place, and, and the poor are fed, and people are, are getting housing, and all of this happens. Education changes, culture changes, things get good. We start plating things with gold, and God gives us this warning. In Christendom, we begin to protect the culture of Christ, but not Christ. See, some of us are so mad on Facebook because of the culture, but we're trying to protect the culture and not Christ. And that is not Christianity. That is not what God has called you to do. Christendom is this byproduct. It's a Christianity without Jesus. It's education with no Jesus. It's healing with no healer. I want to read for you the mission statement of Harvard University College when it started in 1636. The mission statement was this. Everyone shall consider as the main event of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ which is eternal life. The mission statement of Harvard University, and I could go on to read you that of Yale, to that of, of Brown, of Princeton, of Dartmouth, of all of these, uh, of, of different, uh, not just colleges, but hospitals and all these that were founded on these Christian principles that had their rise in a predominant Christian society, then all of a sudden, Christendom made its way into the things. And so we love the fact that these hospitals help all the poor. We love the hospitals do all these things. We just don't want Christ. So let's begin to remove Christ from our culture. And this has been happening for a long time, y'all. This isn't something new. This, is, this has been happening over a period of a few generations, at least, at least, and what we're left with is a Christianity that's no Christianity at all, education that has lost their mission statements, hospitals that don't do what they're supposed to do, and it's even made its way into the church. Where now the church is no longer standing for the truth of God's word, but we're catering to cultural Christianity to say, uh, I don't know, we could take away certain parts of it because we don't like how it fits. Which leads to the next slide. The downfall of Christianity, which leads to the next fall. The downfall of Christendom, which leads to the next fall, the downside of societal growth. So as Christianity peaks and all of a sudden it begins to change and culture has brought its way in, Christianity begins to go down. And all of a sudden, here's the thing, there's all of these lagging trails. So in other words, as Christianity begins to move down, things could still get better. Because remember, it's an outworking of the values that we live in. And so, oh, no, no, colleges make more money. And hospitals do really well. 
And all of these things still happen with not even realizing that, listen, it's already peaked a long time ago. And societal advancement still keeps happening, sometimes even for generations. And they don't even realize because we're living in the outworkings of what we feel like, hey, this is good things. We're plating stuff with gold. And God's like, warning, the second you start bringing idols back into your life, you're heading for a downfall. When you start focusing on the byproducts of what Christ offers rather than Christ himself. Here's the thing about these waves. These waves, you can look at them, and these are historical patterns. This isn't about America. This is about humanity. You can look at the children of Israel. You can read the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. These waves happen over and over and over again, every time, every, every single one of them. And if we just look to our history, the, the question is, where, where are we at in that chart? And I put this little dot on the spectrum. Totally just my opinion. There's no evidence other than me looking at the society and the culture of where we're at. And I would probably say somewhere around the 50s or 60s, we topped off on the, the top of that red thing. And, and even the numbers back that up, though. So uh, Christians as a whole in America have been on the decline since the 60s. All of this is happening, and you could even look at the numbers even through the, the Catholic Church, the uh, Lutheran Church, the, all these things, just the decline of Christianity for the past 70 years or so. But here's the thing. Even as we were on the decline, man, things felt like they were getting better, right? You're like, oh, man, there's, but there's churches everywhere. There's all these things. But, but remember, Christendom rises after. These are lagging markers. So in other words, sometimes something's happened and you don't even know what's happened yet, and you feel the effects of it later. Well, let me put it like this. Adam, in the day that you bite that apple, you'll surely die. He bit, oh, I didn't die yet. But you did. And you didn't even realize it. Thing, but here, here's the thing. These waves, oftentimes, we're talking, you know, it, it, it could be generations and generations and generations and, uh, uh, before you see the ups and the downs and as these things take place. But... As we begin moving closer and closer to the last days, and I do believe that we are in those times, Jesus actually said, hey, listen, uh, last day, they're here, they're now. It's like we've been in the last days for a couple thousand years. But as we move closer, these waves get closer and closer together. So in other words, things that used to take four or five generations can happen in one generation. It's just like a storm. And those buoys are out there, and they're measuring these waves heights. And as that storm gets closer, man, all of a sudden, ooh, that buoy's moving up. And it's called the period of the swell. And so, like, you could even look, okay, that, there's a certain amount of time in between swells. So there's a 17-second period of the swell. So I know it's still farther away, but, man, as that period of that swell gets closer, 15 seconds, 12 seconds, 4 seconds, all of a sudden the ocean gets a whole lot rougher. What I'm saying is things happen at a much faster pace now than they did a few thousand years ago. And that's just not a spiritual statement. That's just a statement of natural reality. For the majority of human history, we didn't have electricity. So when the sun set, you stopped working, right? All of these things that we do now make us uh, in what you know, I'm calling the technological age and society advancements. We do things now that it would have taken forever 
You know, ask the Apostle Paul. Like, it took him years to do these missionary journeys. We're like, I could hit live on Facebook in three seconds. All of these things are happening much quicker. Now, hold on to that. And let me give you part two of this. Christ and culture, and now Christ in this technological age. There's a really good book um, called Flickering Pixels. Shane Hips, I believe, is the author. And in that book, he outlines four stages of technology that I want to give you this morning real quick. Four stages of technology. And this is any technology. This is TVs, this is radios, this is that keyboard, that microphone, your refrigerator, your microwave, every, the car you drive, every piece of technology goes through these four stages. <coughs> Excuse me. Number one, it extends and it amplifies the human capacity. So every piece of technology will extend and amplify what you're capable of doing. Example, the car. The car can now go way further than I can walk. So it extends my ability, extends my travel time. And then along comes the airplane. And now airplanes can take me where I couldn't drive. So I can now uh, walk a certain amount of space. I can drive a certain amount of space. And now I can fly. And hey, the rocket ships can take us even further. So each society uh, uh, advancement that we have in the technology realm, it extends and it amplifies the human capacity. Just click Google. Number two, it replaces any older technology, it makes obsolete or irrelevant. So in other words, if it used to be you wanted to write something down, it was, you know, these like big blocks, and then we had scrolls, right? And then there was this letter, and, and then you could give this letter to a dude who would jump on a horse and ride for like four months to deliver your letter. And when he got it, it said, can you pick up some milk? Missed that one. And now I can send an email and it be there instantly. So, so all of these things, though, but as it replaces these things, it doesn't necessarily make them completely obsolete. Things begin to just change function. So in other words, that dude who used to deliver letters by horseback now just gives rides to people in Central Park. So it's changed the function, the invention of the car, the airplane, how it does, uh, the eight-track, come on, and the tape, and the CD that you would scratch. Oh, I ruined the whole thing. And now it's the cloud. The cloud. All of these things, it replaced. So it extends, it replaced. The third thing it does is it retrieves. Every bit of new technology is built upon something old. The Bible says this, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So everything that we build upon has been the outworking of what's come before it. Like we think Apple is like the most innovative company there is, but Apple built on technology that was there and made it better and it made it extend and it did all these things and it, it, it retrieved. Uh, and, and it goes all the way back throughout human history. At my house right now, I have this little thing called the Blink Mini, and it is a security system that you just plug into the USB, and we also have the Blink where people ring your doorbell. What's that? The doorbell ringer? Yeah, that thing, which I don't even know why we have them because, anyway. Um, 
So it, somebody presses the doorbell, it rings, and then Alexa comes on my house and says, there is someone at your door. Um, but you know what it retrieves? It retrieves the watchman on the wall. See, thousands of years ago, they would build these cities, and they would build these walls, and they would put somebody on this wall, and they would look out, and if there was danger coming, if someone was coming, they would alert the city. There was like the original Alexa. Danger. Wake up, King David. Come on. Somebody's all this. And it's just the, watch, it's the new watchman on the wall. Every bit of technology replace it. And this is where we like to stop as a society, as a culture, because we love the idea of things being extended and replacing the old with the new and retrieving upon something old and making it better because this is all societal advancement and it looks good. But then there is the fourth and final stage of every piece of technology in which we live in this age in which technology has shaped and changed our culture, whether you like it or not. And that is this, it reverts on itself. When pushed to the extreme, every technology will eventually revert on itself. And the very thing, the very problem that it t tried to solve will become its downfall. In other words, this. The car, which was supposed to make things easier and faster, when you put enough of them on the road, the system breaks. If you go to New York City right now, you realize the system has broken. And you could get somewhere faster on your bicycle or walking than you could with this car. The same thing happens with airplanes when you're waiting for a 17-hour layover. Come on, all of this happens because the system breaks. When you overextend anything beyond itself, it will eventually revert on itself. The letter that used to be carried by horseback, the dissemination of information now can be done with the email and the internet in a matter of a seconds. And what was supposed to bring clarity information now brings confusion. Because lies spread just as quick. And you don't even know, can I believe this? It got to your inbox quickly, but is it true? And what was supposed to bring clarity now brings confusion. That surveillance camera that called uh, on that man on the wall so many years ago, which was supposed to bring us security and privacy. And now there's so many security cameras on every corner and every angle that the very spot that's supposed to bring your security is now the spot of your vulnerability. Because the thieves come in and they hack into your system. And if you're in the room right now and you're a conspiracy theorist, you're like, I knew it. I knew Alexa and Siri were listening to every word I say. Some of y'all are in here and you're like, amen. There it goes. But it's every piece of technology. It does this. How does this make any difference of what we're talking about this morning? As we experience the rise and the fall of Christianity and Christendom in our culture, we need to understand a few things. One, we need to understand what it's retrieving. Christendom will always retrieve idols. Always. And that's why you have this portion of, verse, uh, of Scripture right here where God is saying, listen, understand this. Understand all the society advancement. Everything is going good. You're plating everything in gold. But understand this. If you, if you get to the point where it's all about the temple and not about me, I will shut this thing down. God's like, I will destroy this thing in a minute. But if you keep the temple about me, 
Solomon, you will sit on this throne and your kids will sit on this and I'll establish this for generations to come. But the second you start introducing these idols and start making it all about you, I will destroy this thing to the point of where God says this. Those who see this temple and think that it's impressive now, when they walk by, they'll be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? In other words, I built this thing, but if you make it about something else other than me, I will destroy it quick. To the point where the very ones that you're supposed to be reaching will look at the rubble that I put it in. What happened to the church? Why does it look so broke down and destroyed? Because we traded Christ for Christendom. Because we like the values without the value giver. I ain't mad at you. I know I sound it. I promise I ain't. Like I, I was talking to Chris about this this week. And I was like, I know this is a hard message. But the truth is, I think one of the reasons why I can give it is because there is no anger in me. I have just so much love for the church. I have so much love for you and the body of Christ that, man, God, I just don't want us to revert to idols. In a culture that wants what it wants and does what it wants, here's the thing what we want in America, money and power. And it's nothing new. Money and power. And here's the thing, we want to... Here's the, here's the irony of us sometimes, is that we pride ourselves on being different, but what we really want is just to blend, to not stand out. Because that's almost the worst thing you could do right now, is to stand up and say, no, no, I, I believe something different than what the cultural grain is saying. And the truth is, it's just like Israel, when they said, you know what, God, we want a king, we want to be like all the other nations. Give us Saul, would you please? And to which God was very clear, that's not my way for you. I want to be your king. But no, 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 God, we want to be like everybody else. We want our, our government and our policies and all these things to look like every other nation. And God said, if you get Saul, realize what he's going to do to you. We don't care. We want what we want. And here, like, here, this is... Take this as much as, I'm just going to say it. We still want Saul. We still think that government is the answer. We still think that all of these things are the answer to Christianity, and I'm telling you, it's not. The answer is Jesus. See, we have generations that are coming up that believe that the ways of Jesus is this. You come to Christ and things are going to get magically better. Your bank account's going to get full. You're never going to get sick again. Everybody's going to like you. You can live your best life right now, Garrett. And I'm telling you, that is not the gospel. That is Christendom. That is the outworking of knowing Christ. The outworking of knowing Christ is that Christ does do all these things sometimes in my life. Sometimes man, oh, there, there, there's healing that takes place and there's, there's financial provision that takes place and there's food on my table, but all of it is an outworking of what Christ is doing. And if we don't understand, we'll settle for the hybrid of Christianity without Christ. 
And Jesus is very clear, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, dies, I mean really dies. I mean, because isn't that what Jesus did? He stepped out of humanity into this world and took the death on a cross, put his hands into the hands of the Father and said, unto you I commit my spirit. He gave us the greatest of example. You want, to do, you want to know what you do when you have all the power in the world? You give it to Jesus. Unto you I commit my spirit. If we're going to retrieve anything, let's retrieve the ancient paths. Let's retrieve the eternal ways of Jesus. And the last thing is we need to know when it reverts. Because remember, this is nothing new. It's historically Accurate, it's biblically accurate. The same thing happened at the dedication of the temple, and God gave the warning to the people from the very beginning, right in the middle of the party. And he's all saying, listen, you've got to stay faithful, because if you don't stay faithful, it reverts on itself. We are now seeing the outworking of a gospel that is reverting on itself, a gospel that says it's all about you. It's all about your comfort. It's all about your preferences. It's all about your desires. And we've been seeing it since at least the 60s, but it's so subtle that it's hard to notice. It's like when you go to the beach and you get in the water and all of a sudden you've drifted down half a mile without even knowing what happened. And I'm just saying the days of being half in are over. The days of riding the coattails of revival and living with the benefits of Christ without Christ himself are over. Proverbs 16 says this, better a little with righteousness than much with injustice. In other words, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus, no matter what it costs. And I don't, I don't want to scare you, but remember, this is about you are here. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. As we turn back to Christ, culture will grow more corrupt. Societal advancement will slow, and culture will see Christianity as more and more irrelevant. Aren't you encouraged? <laughs> you should be, because it leads to this last and final slide. The rise of Christianity once again. This is the moment in which we call revival. This is the seed in which Jesus says, I can work in that. All of it, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It's not doom and it's not gloom. This is the good news of the future of the church, that there is hope, that even after this cross has taken place, there is resurrection coming. Come on, somebody. There's some resurrection coming for the body of Christ. When the enemy put Jesus on that cross, he had no clue what he was doing. And I'm telling you, when you start to persecute the church, you have no clue what you're doing. When you start to persecute us as Christians and you start to say all of these things, I'm telling you, it just makes where we begin to rise up into a Christianity that God has called us to be. And everyone comes together and all of a sudden, no, no, we are now going to be the change again in society that we used to have and the influence that we used to have. Because the, remember, the outworking is it reverts on itself. So you have all of these people that have been living this life that's all about them and they're miserable. 
they've gotten their own way. And it's not joyous. I know that the TV and everything portrays it that way. It's not the truth. And what they're looking for is truth, is the way. Because they've had it their way. And the life that has led them is absolute misery. And that's why we as Christians can come in with this great hope of saying, listen, it doesn't matter if things are good times or if things are bad times. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. Listen, let me make this very plain. Aaron said it this way. Listen, if your hope is in Christendom, you should be scared. As a matter of fact, if your hope is in the government, you should be scared to death. If your hope is in the the economy, if your hope is in our educational system, if your hope is in a hospital, you should be scared. But if your hope is in Jesus, come on. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to ask everyone to please stand to their feet. We're standing at the crossroads, church. And I'm telling you, one of these roads leads down to more and more Christendom. And it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It looks like Christianity, but it's not. It's some kind of hybrid. And the scriptures tell us this. You can't serve two masters. You'll you'll end up loving one and hating the other. And I'm here to tell you this. If your hope is in these other things, the thing that you'll end up hating is Jesus. Because Jesus runs countercultural to all of these things. As a matter of fact, all these things are byproducts. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow. It's a lagging trail. To have our hope in Christ, in Christ alone, to get to the point where we can be like those before us, that even if I find myself in this prison cell, I could praise him now. Even if I find myself laying on that hospital bed and they say stage four cancer, I could praise him now. Even if the things that I wanted to go my way didn't go my way, I could praise him now. Because my hope is in Jesus Christ and his blood. And if my people who are called by my name If you'll do this, if you'll just humble yourself, if you'll just pray and turn and repent, I'm going to do this. I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to heal their land too. But you can't get that order mixed up. See, if you're only about the land getting healed, if you're only about the societal change, if you only want to ride the coattails of Christian culture, it's never going to work. Until it's God, I'm the one that needs your saving, forgiving grace to enter in to your way, to your truth, and experience the life of Jesus that's all around us because the kingdom is here and it's among us and it's coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for myself, 
being the first one in the line. Any ways in which I've, I've traded an easy cultural Christianity for you, God, rip it out of me. Jesus, I want you, every piece of you, even the tough stuff, even the stuff that, oh, it hurts. But God, I just believe in you. I believe you want what's best for us. And if God, if you say that this is what's best, I'm not going to question you any longer. Even if I find myself in a place that I don't want to be, help me to find myself into Jeremiah 29. Because I know the plans that you have for me. I'm going to bless those that are around me. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light to a people who don't know you. Lord, let revival come. We repent. We turn. Now come and forgive. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. As a pastor, if in any way I've ever given in to the cultural temptation to water down your word, I repent. I pray that I would lead a church, Lord God, that we would speak the truth, but Lord, we would be dripping with love. That even as hard things are saying, that people would hear the absolute love of Jesus. That we would leave the 99 to go after the one. And even though we're calling certain things as sin that the world's calling not, Lord God, that they would just, they would be drawn to us because of your love in us. May we be a church that loves you and loves our brother, even the ones that aren't part of the fold yet. If you're in the room today and you don't know him, may today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you just give it all to Jesus. That you, I'm just asking you to put your hand real high in the air where I could see it and just lead you in a simple prayer to come to Jesus. Is there anybody in the room today? Real high so I can see it. I don't want to miss if there is anyone. All right. I want to believe everyone in here knows them. But here's the, mo here's the thing. Right now with your eyes shut, you know somebody who doesn't. See that person. Let me make it real clear. God's sending you. He's not sending me. He's not sending the other Christian down the street. He's sending you to be salt, to be light. Now, I know that's a little overwhelming, but here's the thing. You can't do it. You can't change anybody. You can't even change yourself. But Jesus can. Jesus can. So if you feel inadequate, welcome to the club. I want to take a moment and just pray for those.
as I pray for them, you join in with that person that you know doesn't know Christ. Lord God, we pray for their salvation. Lord God, we pray for healing in their home. We pray for that mom that's just at the end of her rope. Send us, Jesus. Send us to be salt and to be light and to just show your love to her, to that man that is just angry and mad at the world and we've just dismissed them, but Lord God, show us how they're hurting on the inside. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. May we be, be ones that bring them back into the kingdom. May we be ones that just, some of us just need to plant seeds. Some of us need to just water. But you know what? God will give the increase. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.